And we are live. JT here, and welcome to The Huddle. The Huddle is where I sit down with successful people from the world of sport and coaching. It's to learn more about their journey to greatness. Why do I have these conversations? Because success always leaves clues. I want to take a moment to thank you whether you are watching on YouTube or on Facebook, or whether you are listening to the audio on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me and my special guest today. And here's my friendly reminder to you. The mind is like a parachute. It works best when it's wide open. So my challenge to you is to go all in on this conversation, to remove any distractions, and get laser focused on the here and the now. And I guarantee you, you will gain a valuable nugget of wisdom that will not only help you succeed in sport, but more importantly, in the game of life. I've been looking forward to my conversation with my special guest today. Uh, like many ideas, um, I find their best inspired ideas when you act on them. So I reached out to him recently and just thought, hey, would you like to come on the huddle and have a conversation? And being the amazing human being, he said, absolutely. Uh, my guest in the huddle today is currently serving as the president with Canadian Tire Jumpstarts Charities. My guest in the huddle today is Marco Dubuano. How are you today, Mark? Marco? Sorry. I'm great, JT. I'm great. How are you? Great, great. Um, as I was sharing before, we've uh, kicked off and went live here, just uh, having a day filled with wonderful conversations. So I'm really looking forward to ours. Same here. Okay. Um, before we get kicked off, Marco, uh, I just want to take a moment to count my blessings. And for me, this is a daily practice. Some days I do it better than others but I do find the days where I'm most intentional, that I'm most consistent counting my blessings. I do find those days are filled with a more love, a little more joy, a little more peace. And I'm a big believer, biggest blessing you can give anyone is your time and your energy. So I just want to thank you again for blessing us with some of your time and energy here today. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, JT. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, so, one of the things that uh, I often like to do in the huddle is to remind others and more importantly myself that life is a game and games are supposed to be fun. Uh, I'm curious, um, what's an interesting fact that maybe a lot of people don't know about you that you'd be open to sharing with our community today? Oh my gosh, uh, that's a good one. Um... Hey, I'm getting up there in age. I, I turned 50 earlier this year. So there are plenty of interesting facts that have probably accumulated over time. But uh, I'll, I'll throw this one out uh, to your audience. So I had the privilege of, of serving as a media spokesperson when I worked for the Heart and Stroke Foundation uh, in Ontario um, many, many years ago now. But one of the things that serendipitously happened as a result of that is I got invited to be on the Dr. Oz show. Um, so that was before he went, um, a little sideways with his thinking. He was still very much an evidence-based medical practitioner at the time. And, uh, and I gotta say the experience was wild getting flown to New York city, appearing on the show, live studio audience, all that, like it, it was crazy. Um, and then, you know, seeing yourself 
on this show after the fact. It was it was all very wild, but what an honor to be able to share some insights on behalf of the foundation on this, you know, mega platform. So so that was pretty cool. But that that that's the nugget I'll share. Uh, I, I'm curious. That that sounds like a, a beautiful experience. I, I'm sure. It probably prompted some reflection and gratitude for you know being able to be uh, to have that opportunity. I'm curious, was there anything that kind of stuck out with you on on during that entire experience that still you know resonates with you today? Yeah, you know what? That's that's a really great question, JT. So you know, going into that, you you know you think, all right, they're going to do their due diligence. They're going to make sure that not an iota of what I say is offline, and they're going to you know fact check and all this stuff. The pre-screening interview and the information I shared in the pre-screening interview was effectively the script that we followed, like verbatim. And it was a real eye-opening experience for me because I realized, you know what? I can't depend on anyone else to make sure the things I'm saying are, I need to make sure that I am confident and I've done the due diligence. Mm to make sure that what I am saying and putting out there for others to consume is accurate. I cannot depend on someone else to do that. And I have to take that responsibility. So that was a, a, a powerful manifestation of that. I was glad that I had, but cause it could have gone sideways pretty quickly otherwise. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Um, and why that resonates with me, you know, one of the intentions I set when I started this, this, uh, podcast was to have organic free-flowing conversations and I know for some people's comfort level they're totally cool with that others are a little bit more guarded and it so it's interesting but I I guess where I'm getting at is I can appreciate now that you've been on that platform you've been in kind of that one where what you're sharing is public consumption here it's like you know it's easy Well, easy for sure well easy because you're you know this is going to be a fun conversation but it's yeah. also you learn to never be complacent, right? Yeah. Uh, no matter how many times you do this, you just learn never go in unprepared or at mm-hmm. least thinking through what you're going to say. And and uh, and it's it's an important lesson, right? Because you can easily lose sight of that thing. Ah, I've got the experience. I've done you know whatever it may be, whether it's media interviews or whether it's you know coaching or whether it's parenting. You know, to learn to how not to be complacent about things is mm-hmm. is an important lesson. Um, because that's where the mistakes start to happen. Mm. I love that. And, and, and again, great reminder on, you know, patience, right? Responsiveness, you know, pausing. So a lot, a lot of great nuggets there. Um, so I'm crazy, um, curious, Marco, you have a diverse background, right? In health and wellness, right? Like, again, you uh, achieved and you were um, your PhD in nutritional sciences at U of T and you've kind of gone into the research, you've been a spokesperson, uh, you've really worked in the health and wellness field. Um, And then in 2015, you moved on to Jumpstart. And then 2022, you you shifted into this new role as the president of Jumpstart. I'm curious, you've had a diverse path, you've Obviously, sport, physical activity has played an important role for you in your life. I'm curious, what what uh, has been a lesson that you've taken from sport, from physical activity? And again, I know there's many that you find yourself still applying to other areas of your life today. Hmm. That's that's a, again really really great question. Um, 
you know, yeah, I could get cheeky and start to refer to all these, you know, movie sound bites, uh, inspirational, you know, speeches made in many movies about sport. But at the end of the day, um, it's, I think that the thing that I find most powerful about sport is it's a bit of an underdog, more broadly speaking, right? Like sport has the power to do many things that we don't recognize. Um, and we approach it a little bit superficially. Like we, we, you know, fandom is awesome and it unite the, you know, uniting communities or this notion of teamwork that we get if we've played sports at a young age and we've made friends for life. But there's so many more powerful things about sport. And, and I think I would say the thing that I've learned through sport is not to under, underestimate the power of its utility um, to help people become the best version of themselves. And it's interesting. It's like you said, like there's all these, you know, sport, if you look at it at a very superficial level, you know, there's lots of great things that happen, right? Like we, you know, or we might talk about, you know, it teaches us hard work, teamwork, but really, and it sounds like for you, it's sort of just an understanding that it's simply a vehicle to teach and reinforce greater life lessons uh, that transcend really, you know, on field, on the ice, on the court. Absolutely. At, you know, at its simplest and purest level, it can be the hook that creates a fun, you know, open environment where people are more have a more of a growth mindset and, mm. and are willing to, you know, push themselves to become the best version that's inside them. Um, on a deep level, you can really use it as a tool to advance to, a, you know, tackle mental health or physical health and well-being or really tackle societal issues or as we learned during the pandemic use it as a vehicle for social justice mm -hmm. so you know depending on how deep you want to leverage it as a tool it has the power to be very transformative at an individual level as well as a societal level um, and it's it's to our detriment that in north america we don't view sport through that lens as much as we do you know um, uh, sport as a as a professional endeavor and as a as an aspirational endeavor uh, in many parts of the world where you know there are are far deeper societal issues at play sport as a tool for for you know social development for community development is a far more entrenched tool than it is here in north america we're getting there you know when you talk you start talking about sports through the lens of human rights as our health our uh, sport minister has recently um, or when you talk about, you know, tackling inequities in, uh, in, in sport uh, with uh, different approaches, the way the PWHL and, you know, Project 8, the, the Domestic Soccer League are planning to do, you start to unpack some of that power in sport. Um, but we're, it's in its infancy here in, in Canada and North America, this notion of sport for development um, compared to where it is in many other parts of the world. Mm. And, and I appreciate you sharing and reminding all of us about, you know, the power of sport. And, you know, I know Nadel, Nelson Mandela, you know, talked about, you know, the has the power and I'll sort of paraphrase to transform, right, lives and, and really be a catalyst to change. And it's interesting as you share that, because I think of what you're doing now and helping to lead the change through Jumpstart, that a lot of, you know, what you do is to help sort of address some of these 
societal, you know, we'll call them barriers, right? To where people can actually get involved in physical activity and sport. So I'm curious from your perspective, what inspired you um, to join Jumpstart with the preface being you've spent time in the research side of things, right? Academically, you were a spokesperson um, and now sort of leading the change for probably arguably one of the biggest charitable organizations in terms of sport, physical activity, um, removing barriers. Yeah, I'm curious, what inspired you to embark on yeah. this journey? You would have to go way back in the time tunnel, to be honest. And I know on the surface, my career looks like it's been all over the map. But to me, there's always been a thread that unifies it. Um, you know, if I go back to when I was, you know, a teenager and thinking about what I would do in university, I, I had this dream of, of being a, a pediatrician. Right. And uh, and like, you know, many, many aspiring uh you know, uh, young people who dream of a career in medicine it didn't happen for me, but I, I had a choice. I could, you know, throw all that aside and figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, you know, after my undergraduate degree and, or I could kind of try to unpack what it was about medicine that I really wanted to, you know, that, that appealed to me. And it, it dawned on me that it was, it was really child and, and youth wellness and well-being that was, my North Star. And I wouldn't have articulated back then this way, right? But that's what kind of appealed to me. And so I embarked on a career path that allowed me to always keep that North Star in sight. Um, you know, I, I, I pursued a PhD, not because I had the intention of becoming an academic, but I had already finished an undergraduate degree. I didn't want to go back and go to business school or anything like that. So I thought, where can I acquire skills that will be just as comparable and just as robust. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to graduate school. I'm going to treat it differently. I'm going to think of designing a clinical trial as project management. And I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, think of being a TA as people management. And I'm going to think of, you know, all the writing skills and communication skills that I'm going to acquire. And I'm going to use that as the justification for going to graduate school. And then when I was looking for my first career opportunity, with a nutrition degree it was around the time that the food industry in North America was being vilified for its role in childhood obesity. And I thought, now, naively, mind you, in hindsight, but I thought, what if I go to work in the food industry? What if I can make some change in the food industry and, and try to harness its, its force for, for better? Um, and so I, I made that career decision. And, and when that didn't quite, you know, meet my expectations, I thought, okay, well, where else can I, I employ my, my skills and still, you know, help child health and wellness? And, and the not-for-profit sector was, was an obvious choice, particularly in the health charitable sector. Um, and then, you know, you fast forward, you can draw that line from my initial desire to be a, 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 or dreams to be a pediatrician to where I am now, which is wielding the power of sport to improve the health and well-being. And it's really not just health, it's what that well-being word needs to be unpacked, right? For kids and youth from coast to coast to coast, and I could not be happier. Honestly, I think I have the best job at all of Canadian Terror Corporation, to be honest with you, because I get up every day and I just, you know, my team and I think of what do we do next to be better, to help one more kid be successful. I love that. And you know, a, a number of things we could probably just unpack there and create a whole different episode. 
I love at the start how you talked about you viewed going to graduate school, how you reframed it as an opportunity to gain valuable skills, right? Uh, that's powerful. Uh, again, just reminder of, again, your growth mindset. And it was interesting how you sort of drew this theme around, you know, child and, and, and youth well-being, right? And why it resonates with me is similar to you. I've had a diverse, you know, career path. I was 15 years in education, went to entrepreneurship, came back into this nonprofit world, um, you know, with Football Ontario. So it's really interesting how, again, if I were to look back at the journey, as Steve Jobs says, connect the dots, you can only connect the dots going back, but you start to realize what actually about those three industries actually drove me. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, as you've embarked in your journey, as you've become more clear that, you know, child and, and youth well-being is, is really where your heart is in creating solutions. What have you discovered? Like, what, like, have there been some wins, um, either your time at Jumpstart or, or previously to Jumpstart? Oh, there've been lots of wins um, and lots of learnings, right? Uh, and, and preconceived notions that have been completely thrown out the door. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, worked at the Heart and Stroke Foundation here and, and uh, you know, as a Canadian, as Canadians, we like to think that we uh, live to perhaps a higher standard than our, our, our fellows, uh, you know, um, our brothers and sisters in the United States. And um, when I was going through my academic training, you start to realize, oh, you know, there's a reason they've got Ivy League institutions and whatnot. Like these are heavyweight institutions and they bring them to bear and, you know, they do really good work and they've got systems in place to, you know, really, you know, understand the health and well-being journey of, of they don't, necessarily pan out for the better but at least they've got systems in place to try and help the discussion then you you know you make the transition in the not-for-profit space and I start to see you know you, you think we've got to be doing better I mean socially our, our country is more progressive but I had an opportunity that was very uh, serendipitous my you know my wife was given an opportunity with her employer at the time to move to the U.S. for a short time um, you know, the kids and I followed suit and, and I had to find a new job. By sheer chance, the job I ended up finding was with the American Heart Association. And wow, was that an eye-opening experience because here I thought, yeah, I've got Canadian not-for-profit experience. We must do things better. I was immediately humbled by that misperception. The level of rigor and discipline and data-driven decision-making that was embedded in this organization that thought of itself like a Fortune 500 company, not like a, a, a charity, charitable organization in need of, of, of uh, you know, public support was just unbelievably powerful for me. It, it, it really changed my perception of what the segmentation between not-for-profit and for-profit looks like. To the point where I, I, you know, and I had already started really studying and and getting deep into, um, you know, Porter's thesis of, you know, the firm as a social institution or the, the evolution of, you know, uh, corporate social responsibility. It, that whole experience at American Heart was so powerful that I made the decision early on that when we were going to move back to Canada, I wanted to make the transition back into the for-profit space 
but for an organization that had a very clear social purpose. Um, and, and so, you know, I would consider that a major win. The fact that one of my own preconceived notions, one that I'm sure I share with many Canadians, that we are better than, you know, our counterparts in the United States was completely obliterated mm-hmm. um, is, is what forced me to approach the role that I'm in with more humility, mm-hmm. uh, but also with a deep desire to build the same kind of discipline and rigor around data-driven decision-making, which in sport, as you know, not a sector that's, you know, accustomed to using data to, uh, to make decisions. So, so that I would, I would consider that whole revelation a major win. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it's interesting you share that um, just again, coming in this nonprofit world has been interesting because, you know, spending time nonprofit, then going in for profit, then nonprofit. It really has helped me to understand, like you said, the power of, you know, verified data, right? Because I found that it's really easy that we all have these lived experiences, which again, has helped us form these preconceived notions. But I always remind myself like numbers, numbers don't lie, right? Numbers are factual, they're based and and they actually just provide a snapshot to give us feedback on where we are and, and they're a quick measure. So I, I can definitely appreciate the value of, of, of great data. Yeah. And, you know, the other nice benefit, uh, having had some experience outside of Canada, is that you come back and you, now you don't necessarily, you know, you're obviously going to be proud of what your country accomplishes, but you don't necessarily jump to the conclusion that we know better or we know best. And so even in in my role at Jumpstart, ever since coming on as president, I've encouraged my team to look outside of our borders for examples of how we can adapt ideas that might advance our work here in Canada. Um, And it's proven very successful. We've cultivated strong relationships with uh, the UK in particular, with a lot of organizations that do great sport for development work um, that were kind of born out of the 2012 Olympics uh, to really advance community sport and well-being. and it's really served us well because you know we've brought some innovative ideas back here that we've tried to you know co-adapt with a lot of our domestic partners and uh, and we're excited to launch some new things in the new year. Um, so that that experience of you know making sure we always have the right amount of humility um, as we approach and engage with others was you know incredibly powerful, incredibly mm. powerful. So it sounds like there's been sort of this shift on best practices about seeing what others, how others are creating wins and then sharing it, okay, getting a better sense, and then sort of make it your own. Absolutely. And, you know, the window of what constitute or the sandbox of what constitute best practices, like we, it's to our detriment that, you know, collectively, we don't often think, well, there's a planet of billions of us. Like, we're, why do we just close the box on on a country of 38 million? We should be looking far afield for where those yeah. best practices may be, and not be no not carry preconceived notions that, um, you know, we know better in developed nations about how to do this work. Powerful reminder on approaching every situation, every person with an open mind and an open heart. Okay. Um, 
So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned around this idea that, you know, sport physical activity is a great catalyst to, to create, you know, societal change, you know, um, obviously coming out of the last few years, which again, everyone's experience has been different, but you know, we all experience a lot of change in the way daily life looks. I'm curious what, what has really been firing up jumpstart in terms of like, Okay, here's where we're going. Like, has anything, has any inspired idea really been pushing the envelope for the Jumpstart family? Um, I wouldn't say so much an idea as, um, as a bit of a a, a cultural shift that we mm-hmm. noticed coming out of the pandemic. So I think you know, if you would have asked this in 2019 or early 2020, you know. Can you characterize what the sports system in Canada looks like? We would have had like, just like everyone else, variations on the theme. But yeah, you've got these organizations, national bodies, and they've got provincial counterparts. And, you know, you kind of had the government loosely, you know, governing it all. And and you've got these community clubs that create this ecosystem and, you know, at the grassroots level. And they kind of, you know, schools don't talk to clubs and clubs don't talk to nonprofits and they don't, nobody talks to parks and recreation. And, and we couldn't be more wrong. And, and, and thinking it's a top-down approach, right? It's the governing bodies at the national level that kind of decide what sport looks like in this country. And then you had the pandemic. And, you know, you had a, a social justice revolution happening as a result, uh, you know, at the same time. I wouldn't say as a result, but at the same time. And underpinning that social justice revolution, you had a lot of groups deciding, you know what, we're going to take this into our own hands. We don't need a national body telling us what sport looks like for our community. We're going to decide what sport looks like for Mm -hmm. our community. And a lot of self-determination emanating from the the bottom up, the grassroots up now. And the number of loosely organized groups that started to emerge post-pandemic I wouldn't call them not-for-profits because they didn't have that status. They were definitely not charities. They were definitely not clubs that were sanctioned by you know anybody. They were just really passionate people mm-hmm. who wanted to harness the power of sport for good. And, and that got us really excited because we're like, we got to go out and find these organizations. Like they, they, we can't make the assumption that they know who we are or they know who Sport Canada and they probably don't even care who Sport Canada is. But we got to go out and find these organizations and provide them with supports and 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 help them with you know build capacity and and help them you know with resources to kind of sustain the work that they're doing because at the end of the day isn't that the work we want to sustain the work that's born out of a community so that got us super fired up and and to the point where you know coming out of the pandemic um, we it, it was one of the inputs that uh, inspired us to create our sport relief fund which was like this, you know, over a year and a half, it was like, I think now I've got to get the number. I think it was about $24 million that we poured into the sports system when nobody else was doing it at the grassroots level. Hmm. And, and that sort of suddenly kind of galvanized Jumpstart as, as a real influence, influential organization nationally, but at the grassroots level where there was no influential organization supporting these organizations. And we took that role very seriously. We, we, we think of ourselves as a convener. 
We think of ourselves as a steward of this amazing fluid ecosystem made up of thousands and thousands of organizations. Mm. Um, and, and now we're able to, because we, we have this bigger view of what the sports system looks like at community, we're able to connect the dots. So organizations looking to do good work, we can connect them with others in different parts of the country, bring them together, help them share, help them learn. Hmm. Like that's the stuff, connecting. We, connecting the country through sport is what's getting us jazzed up right now. And, uh, and, and we talked about data. The amount of insight we get from having access to this amazing ecosystem of you know different organizations delivering sport in different ways at the community level has completely changed our view as to what you know what role we can play and other organizations with you know of our of our um uh, similar to ours can do to really sustain this over the long term for the well-being of canadians mm. I love how you brought the idea of capacity and why it resonates is I know you were saying earlier, sometimes, you know, especially when we talk about sport, we often think of professional side of sport, right? Where, you know, you see the NHL, the NFL, you know, CFL, although NBA, you see everything there, but really the catalyst to change as you were highlighting is at the grassroots. And very often at the grassroots, you are dealing with passionate people who are volunteering and giving others their time, their energy, you know, often at, you know, out of cost out of their own pocket, just because mm -hmm. they want to, you know, sort of share some of those lessons with others. So I love that you're sort of focusing on the grassroots as a way to sort of support those people, um, you know, whether it's through relief funds, whether it's providing resources, because, that's really where that catalyst of change starts, right? At, at the grassroots. 100%. Um, you know, we always, oh, when we engage with these organizations, we meet the leaders who are doing this work and who've had the, you know, the inspiration to do something different. We don't want to make the assumption that we know what they need or, or whether they even want our support. So we always ask the open-ended question, how can we help? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, what's really cool about that is is it immediately like we we're very mindful especially you know coming out of that that kind of social revolution that happened during the pandemic to not convey that we're in any position of control or authority um we are very much at the service of the organizations mm -hmm. who are delivering the work in their communities and we really try to convey that so not just through our words but also through our actions we try to make our applications very uh, simple and straightforward. We don't put big obligations uh, on our uh, on the organizations that receive our support. Um, we don't expect them to slap our logo on absolutely everything. It, it's nice that they do because then we can go out and get more support and do more work. But yeah. it's not like we're asking them to you know to center us in their work. We're trying to and, and in fact we even center their storytelling in our storytelling because we want to amplify their work, not necessarily ours. Sometimes to our detriment. But um, it's really important that we um, demonstrate this servant attitude to, to the organizations that we're supporting because um, that's what we're there for. We, we are not in any position of control or authority. We, we can help move the needle by 
making decisions around who receives our support, um, but we're not going to um, create barriers for the organizations that are most in need and you know, demonstrating the most innovative approaches to using sport as a tool for personal and professional development. Mm. Love, I love that. And I just love the simplicity of your question. How can we help? It's a, it's a very sim- simple words, but it, it unpacks so much for these org because they, they really think through, well, let me think about that, you know, and sometimes they tell you it's, it's actually not funding it. You know, can you provide us with volunteers or, you know, do you have anyone who can help us build a website or, you know, sometimes they have a, a, a mm. gap, you know, being able to connect with a community leader in their community who can help advance a policy issue. And, you know, we do what we can where we can uh, I use the analogy. If we can reach the door handle, we will at least try to open the door um, and uh, and that's that's the best we can do Hmm. it's interesting as you share that and you know what came up as you said that was it's easy sometimes to assume we know what people need but but really it's really helping discover actually what people need and then it's finding hey we'll do our best to support you you know and if we can Great. If we're unsure, then, hey, maybe we have a community partner that is better suited to helping you. So I, I really appreciate that because it really just reminded me to, to again, just go in. Don't assume that you know what they need. Just just ask and be open to hearing it. Yeah. And, and for Jumpstart, the great thing about Jumpstart, and one of the reasons I absolutely adore you know, and I'm so proud and so fortunate to work here is we've got the backing of a multi-billion dollar corporation and re- but, but not just the backing of a multi-billion dollar corporation, stakeholders at every level, whether it's the dealers who, you know, the Canadian tire dealers in, in, you know, at, in 500 stores across the country, or, um, you know, the, the staff at sport check and marks who are the, the frontline ambassadors for jumpstart in, in their communities or the executives and employees here at the head office in Toronto or at the head office or at the offices in Calgary, we have tens of thousands of people who also want to be able to um, support the groups that that Jumpstart has a privilege of helping. And and so we have a, a ton of different resources and capabilities that we can bring to bear. As a charity, you know, it's not, typical that you would have a massive supply chain distribution network at your disposal to mobilize resources or, you know, one of the most amazing IT and, and, and intelligent automation teams to help solve technical uh, challenges or an employee base, again, tens of thousands that can serve as a volunteer army. Like the number of resources we have at our disposal and they're all there. That that's one of the things I love about Jumpstart. It is so ingrained in the ethos of Canadian Tire, along with many other community-based initiatives, um, that it it really sets us apart because we can truly listen and work with our partners to understand what their needs are and what resources we can then mobilize uh, beyond just the financial supports. 
Mm. It's interesting. I never would have thought about that, but it is. It is well-positioned jumpstart just based on who the what businesses are connected to it. Like, yeah, it does actually, it, there are so many different touch points and that actually creates efficiencies. So you have multiple ways to help and support people. Exactly. Exactly. And it allows us to be innovative and inventive. Like we're constantly, you know, now the, the most recent thing is I'm telling the team, what's the Venn diagram intersect between all of these capabilities we have within the charity and the corporation and the programs that we might be able to really you know, used to get at the root cause of some of the challenges in sport. Um, and, and and it's forcing the team to think very differently about how we can innovate because we're not, we don't have a very, we don't have a small sandbox at all. Our sandbox is actually quite big when you think about it. If you take a capabilities uh, view to how we can approach the work that we do at a community level, and then you overlay on top of that, the, the relationships we're building with organizations in the U.S. and the U.K. and elsewhere to help inform what best practices look like. Um, you know, we always come out of these meetings with thinking, we can do that. We can modify that this way using these resources and these capabilities. But yeah, we can do that. Mm -hmm. And isn't that a great idea that, you know, we can be able to use to solve problem X, Y, or Z? Um, so you know, it, it, it really does give us a plethora of opportunities to think about how to innovate for the, not just for the sake of innovation, but to really advance the use of sport as a powerful tool for social change. Mm. Uh, I'm curious, have you noticed anything coming out of the last few years? Like you said, you've, you've seen an influx of people, passionate people that just are doing the work, right? That might not have ties to other end. Again, the true essence of grassroots sports. Are you noticing any, you know, sports or any, you know, any any sort of initiatives that you're seeing that maybe weren't as well that weren't as visible pre-pandemic, but now coming out, you see, oh, okay, this 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 idea is growing. This sector is growing. This sports, yeah. Growing. It, it, so a general tendency to repatriate what a sport looks like for a particular community, right? So. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I, you know, let, let's take hockey as an example. It is to our own detriment if we continue to think of hockey as five aside with a goalie, full sheet of ice, you know, 20 minute periods, three period, like there are many communities, there are many organizations that are now redefining, not just, you know, like top down, but with the support, like this very much a for us bias approach, right? With the kids that they're serving, what does hockey actually look like? And you know what? As if you, if you believe when you set foot on the ice, or it doesn't even have to be ice, that you are playing hockey, then who are we to tell you differently? Right? And so it's taking ownership back at the mm -hmm. very heart of communities about what every single sport looks like you know there's this cool um movement happening globally called um mixed ability sport as an example and you know on one hand it, it's definitely a solution to allow for you know persons with disabilities to to continue enjoying sport at the community level but most importantly i think this is a revolutionary way to get everybody back engaged in sport think of the weekend warrior who can't play rugby anymore because they hurt their knee when they were in their 20s or you know uh the 
the person who's who just doesn't have the physical strength to be able to play a full game of rugby in the traditional way. Well, mixed abilities rugby, which is you know taking off here in Canada, quite frankly, quite quite aggressively, is a great opportunity to just get all kinds of people who love rugby playing a modified version of the game together. Mm-hmm. Different demographic groups, persons with disabilities, persons without, persons with injuries, persons without, skilled rugby players, amateurs, all on the same pitch, playing mm-hmm. a game, and they're all playing rugby, yeah. um, as an example, right? So so it's, it's just people taking ownership of what sport looks like for them. Uh, that's the trend we're seeing, which is really exciting. So cool. And it, I think it's really cool on a number of different levels. One, in terms of long-term athlete development, right? That sort of active for life, you know, supporting people wherever they are in the journey. But as you know, I know I'm sort of preaching the choir here. The longer we keep people physically active and involved in sport in some capacity, their well-being, right? We have the potential to actually exactly. improve well-being. Exactly. And the other interesting thing is, you know, I think of, you know, if I'm putting my football Ontario hat on, you know, we've seen this innovation coming out of the pandemic. It's just opening people to the idea. We doesn't have to be 12 on 12. We can do six on six. We can do nine versus nine. We can do flag. We can do tackle men, women, uh, anyone in the BIPOC community, right? New immigrants. Like it's, it's totally just reimagining what sport could look like. Exactly. Exactly. And recognizing that there is no one entity that owns sport. Sport belongs to the person participating in it. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're really kind of seeing that take shape. Uh, and it, it's very exciting to see. Um, you know, are we ever going to get rid of the formal sports system? No. And should we? No. You know, a, a, a colleague that I know makes the analogy between um, school and university. It is the two things can coexist. We can have a wonderful publicly funded K to 12 system in every part of the country to -hmm. make sure that everyone comes out of it with the necessary skills to go on in life. But on the same token, you can also have, you know, research intensive universities that are creating groundbreaking discovery. Well, the same is true. That analogy holds in sport. You can have a, an ecosystem that is there to co- create, cultivate lifelong love of sport, physical activity, and recreation, while still having a system that on occasion finds the individuals who have an interest, but also the, the, the ability to excel at a different level and put them on a, a national or, or global stage. Those two things can coexist. It's not about having one system or the other, but having systems that learn how to coexist. Mm-hmm interesting as you share that you just sort of painted this picture of it's really about reimagining what success looks like that success is not one linear path success looks it's it's in the eye of the beholder absolutely now you couldn't have lobbed me a softer softball on that one <laughs> so one of the one of the really exciting things that we're going to be announcing in the new year is this um, project that we are supporting called the rethink sport hub um and it is a it is meant to be like a think tank um you know with a lot of the leading academics in the sports space um supported by jumpstart but not owned by jumpstart by any stretch of the imagination we want representatives from the governing bodies there we want representatives from grassroots there to input but 
it's meant to be almost like a knowledge hub of all the great things that are happening in sport in Canada and internationally that can serve as a you know, library of best practices, but also as a place where you can go and say, hey, I got this idea. Do you think it'll work? Yeah, let's test it out. Let's see if it will. And let's see how we can implement that most efficiently and, and with the biggest outcomes possible. So, so mm -hmm. it is about rethinking what sport looks like. Um, but it, it's going to be, uh, you know, I, 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 would, I would bet the farm, uh, so to speak, that uh, what we're going to come out with is the most effective system is a patchwork quilt of, you know, different systems that communicate fluidly with each other and interact with each other and co-depend on one another, but not a bunch of standalone things that are, mm -hmm. you know, um, not supported well at all. So mm -hmm. we're excited. Okay. Well, you just threw me a, a nice big lob at softball. Um, again, if, you know, it sounds like Jumpstart's up to a lot of innovative projects. This, this, what you just shared with the think tank, you know, piques my curiosities. I'm enthused to kind of see how that unfolds. Love the idea of collaboration, masterminding, sharing best practices. Um, is there a way for people to learn more or just even if they maybe just want to see what Jumpstart's up to, maybe they want to get involved in some capacity, you know, what's the best way people can, you know, start? Yeah, I would, I would encourage everybody to just follow us on our social channels uh, because that's the most fluid environment, right? Uh, websites are great, but they're pretty static. Um, we try to keep ours up to date with, you know, reports and data and things like that, but We'll, pro we'll push all of that out on our social channels. So, you know, I would encourage everyone to follow us on Instagram or uh, X or LinkedIn um, or even Facebook. Uh, and, and you'll learn all kinds of opportunities uh, that exist to get involved more with the charity. Uh, but also you'll learn about the work that we're doing and, and some of the resources that are available because that's where we'll push it out. So definitely follow us on those social channels and engage with us, interact with us. We, we love that. Awesome. And I'll be happy to share any of those uh, social handles in the description um, on YouTube, on Facebook, or on the podcast. Um, and I definitely know that um, Jumpstart has definitely jumped, no pun intended, to the top of the mind when we saw sort of the NFL pushing out that My, Cleat, My Cause campaign and Nathan Rourke pushed it out. So I feel like Jumpstart is kind of front and center after that video site kind of went out across, you know, the football in football spaces so <laughs> okay yeah yeah um so marco i i just want to take a moment to acknowledge you i i want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the great man you are right the, the great husband the great dad you know the great leader but more importantly the amazing human being you are you know in the short time we've known each other especially on this through this conversation you really get a sense of the deep responsibility you feel to use sport and physical activity as a way to be a catalyst to create social change. So I just want to thank you for, for being the change and, and being a shining example in this world. I really appreciate that JT. Um, as I said, I am, uh, so it keeps me, it gets me up in the morning and, and I have such a privilege to be able to work for this organization and uh, steward all, all of its val invaluable resources to do good. And, um, and it makes me very proud. So thank you for that.
It's all good, brother. Uh, so folks, Marco dropped so many valuable nuggets of wisdom that will not only help you succeed in sport, but more importantly, in the game of life. But as I like to remind you every week in the huddle, knowledge is potential power. It's a consistent and focused application of great knowledge that actually creates greater results. So my challenge to you is to take one of these valuable nuggets of wisdom and go apply it to your life today. And as I like to remind you every week in the huddle, you are deserving of greatness, you are worthy of greatness, and you are greatness. And my only ask from these conversations, if it resonated with you, if it touched your heart, then please share it with a friend, a loved one, a teammate, just someone you feel would benefit from listening to these positive, inspiring, and empowering ideas. The more people we have listening, understanding, and applying these simple principles to their life, the more blessed this world will be. As always, love having these conversations with you in the huddle. Have a blessed rest of your day.